Welcome to The Spectrum, brought to you by ABA Centers of America. I'm Dr. Ted Bender, clinical psychologist and mental health advocate. To learn more about us, please visit abacenters.com. Today, I'm speaking with the very talented actress and empowering woman, Tisha Campbell, about hello. autism awareness. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining oh, us today. my pleasure. Many know you for your roles in Martin, House Party, Uncoupled, and much, much more. But today, you're here to talk about advocacy for autism disorders. I'm just a mommy today. Yes, thank I'm you. I'm just a mommy. So again, we're so happy to have you here uh, talking about this extremely important topic. If you, I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your personal journey with autism and what brings you here speaking with us today. Woo! Okay. Um, much like most people, um, especially during that time, I, I want to say 2001, 2000, 2001, there wasn't a lot of talk about autism. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what it was until it actually affected my family. Um, it's It's so interesting because I'm, I'm very protective of my child and my my kids. So it's it's always been a little difficult for me to talk about this journey. Mm -hmm. And I kind of I know how important it is to share and to show and see that there actually is hope. Um especially for the parents and the families who are affected by this diagnosis. Um so you know I know that I need to speak up. <laughs> well, yeah, and we, and we thank you for that. And it is absolutely critical because you know personally what it was like to get that news. The diagnosis is absolutely life-changing and crushing yeah. to a parent. There's so many things that happen in that moment. Um, with me and my son, um, he had already seen like six doctors, uh -huh. doctors. He had seen six doctors and sorry, five doctors. Uh -huh. And this fifth, this sixth one was going to be the very last person I was going to see. They had all said, oh, he's fine. He might have a couple of delays, but he's fine. He's just super intelligent because, mm. of course, our kids show display some delays, but then they have these amazing gifts. And so Zen was very much so like that. Um, I will have to admit to a certain extent, the minute I brought him home from the hospital, I saw something. Huh. And the reason why I attribute um, me being an actor was that it was set up for this particular moment. Hmm. Because, of course, um, my job is to master human emotions. And when I saw that there was a lack thereof with my child. You noticed immediately. I noticed immediately. And um, I was actually doing early intervention and floor time and didn't know that that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But after the fifth person doctor, uh, clinician who said, Zen is fine, um, but here's a behavioral therapist that... <laughs> that um, I'll give you her number and, you know, you can see her. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see this woman and she's probably going to tell me the same thing and I'm going to stop being a, you know, a protective, overprotective mom or smother. And she came into my home. I didn't expect her that particular day after, you know, working with Zen for a long time. My son's name is Zen, by the way. Um, and... I was in the garden and 
I was sitting there. I was chomping on a salad. <laughs> Zen was in the swing and the babysitter was pushing him because I had just gotten home from work. And I just wanted to just take in this beautiful, amazing California sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she came in and she was like, can we go somewhere where, you know, your husband isn't in earshot. And I was like, oh no, he's fine. He's, you know, he's working in this office. He's not going to come out. Just sit here. I wanted her to sit here in Mm -hmm. this, this moment with me. And, and um, she sat down and she says, well, I have something to tell you. Your son is on the spectrum. And although I knew inside, I knew that he was on the spectrum at that moment. I did not want to hear her say that. Yeah. And If I could find this woman, I don't even know what her name is, but I cussed her out so badly, that poor lady. I cursed her for filth. You hear me? Every word that I could possibly, like, have mastered or just knew that was, you know, that was a a foul Mm -hmm. word that could come out of my mouth. Regurgitated. She got it all. Oh, she got everything. <laughs> she got a mouthful. And after a while, I, I told her to get out of my house, you know? <laughs> and um, I said, no, you stay here. I'll run. So I ran. I ran away and I ran to the house. I entered the back door and I remember screaming. I No, I don't remember screaming. I remember hearing this howling sound. Huh. And I was like, Whose dog is that? Shut that dog up, right? (laughs) Somebody, please shut the dog up. And then I realized it was me. I was the one who was howling. I was the one who was screaming. And I was like, it was a surreal moment. Like, this can't be happening to my son. This can't be happening to my family. This can't be happening to us. And I remember saying... God, I can't handle this. How could you do this to us? How could you do this to my baby? I can't handle it. As I'm screaming, I can't handle it. I'm picking up the my computer, looking up, you know, all these, mm-hmm. you know, the search engine for autism. Mm-hmm. I'm picking up the phone. Hello, my name is Tisha Campbell. My son was just diagnosed. I would like to see if we could be seen. I hang up the phone. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Hello, my name is Tisha Campbell. I, you know. Yeah. You you hear the 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 old adage of God only gives you what you can handle. And even in that moment, I thought I I can't handle it, but I was handling it. Mm-hmm. When I look back and 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 think about that moment. Um and then after that, that was a Friday. Yeah. After that, I um I called Holly Robinson Pete. Mm-hmm. She was one of the first people I knew to call. She was, and she's been an advocate for, you know, the autism community for so long. And she was the only person that I knew that had, you know, a child mm-hmm. with this diagnosis at that time and who was African-American and had that diagnosis at that time. And so I, I, I called her and I said, Holly, they just told me my baby is autistic. And I'm crying, 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 crying. And she was like, baby, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I understand where you are. Okay, are you ready? 
her whole voice flipped. And it made me pay attention. It took me outside of myself. She was like, are you ready? You're going to have to drive Mm -hmm. to different appointments. You're going to, you're going to be immersed in it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. And Tisha, this is really important. You have time on your side. How long has, uh, how, what, at what age is he right now? I said, he's 23 months. She's like, oh my God, what I would do with 23 months. Mm. Oh my God, what I would do with that time. Mm. She said, you he need to hear me. And I mean, again, her voice was so authoritative that it made me just kind of pay attention. And she said, Tisha, because time is not on your side. And what I mean by that is the earlier you can get these kids into in early intervention, the better. She says, but with me and my family, and I hope I'm not out of turn speaking about this, but she's she's spoken about this publicly. Mm-hmm. She says, a lot of my family members were not on the same page. Right. They were in denial. And so we lost a lot of time with my child because they were countering a lot of the the stuff and and they wouldn't, you know, they just were in denial. And she says, the one thing that you have to do is get your child and the people around your child on the same huh. page with the therapist. Yeah. Whatever they tell you to do, do it. And when they're not around, do it. And make the people that's around you do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, got it. She says, you're going to be okay. She says, I hate to give you this this old euphemism, but it gets better. And that's one of the things as an autistic, a, a, a mother of an autistic child or somebody that's on the spectrum, you feel so incredibly alone. Mm. You feel by yourself. And sometimes you purposefully go inward because you you believe that nobody else can understand what you're going through. Right. And there's so much like, from the finances, autism is freaking expensive. Yeah. And let alone if you are in an underserved mm-hmm. community, you know, um, and we talk about all the time, you know, uh, black and brown kids are usually diagnosed about two to three years after their Caucasian counterpart. That's true. And for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It could be, you know, systematically where they live. They don't get the best. They We may not get the best doctors. I say we because I come from a very, you know, I was, I was brought up in Newark, New Jersey, in a very poor area. Mm-hmm. And I understand it very well. Um, so for whatever the reasons are, people not being studied or had it on the subject matter of autism right. it could be you know we don't get the same doctors we don't get and uh, and it's so interesting because um i have a friend whose daughter was about when i met her about 23 years old she is from an underserved area in carson california her mother was a principal um and she, they, she just didn't get the same resources. Mm. Um, 
There's so much I want to unpack there. Yeah. First things for our listeners, I want to, I think what you really hit on Mm -hmm. is the emotion that you went through. And I think you really made that very clear. So for our listeners out there, for parents out there who may have just gotten this diagnosis, it is absolutely normal to go through those range of emotions that you just clearly expressed. It's almost like a grief reaction. It is a grief. It is very much so grief. As a matter of fact, after I spoke with Holly, Mm -hmm. I took a second and said, okay, I don't have the time to feel sorry for him mm-hmm. or me or my family, but I got three days. Yeah. You have this weekend, Tisha, that you have to mourn the loss of, of the uh, aspirations, the goals, and all of the things that you wanted for your child. Right. They have to be, they, you got to go back to the basics. You have to go back to, God, I hope he says hi. God, I hope he says ouch. God, I hope he could say, I love you, mommy. Something, yeah. someday. Even if it's sign language, even if it's grunting. I had to go back to the basics of the, and, and, and mourn the loss yeah. of what I thought his life would be. Exactly. Or assumed his life would be. And it is okay to go through those emotions. The next thing you said that I thought was very important was you had a friend that you reached out to and you had support. I did. That kind of helped to shift your mindset. It did. Into action. Yeah. Right? So it was critical to get that support. Yeah, I had to get into action mode and it was critical to get that kind of support. Uh, She was like, you're lucky. She said this to me. She says, you're really lucky, Tisha, because you got me. Yeah. She said, I didn't have anybody. Mm -hmm. Especially when her kids were diagnosed because it was way earlier than, you know, my child. And there wasn't a lot of resources. There wasn't a lot of anything that, you know, she was really like, mm-hmm. you know, taking stabs in the dark about what would be best for her her child. It's also very common. Another thing you mentioned for, all right, you're ready. You're ready to attack this. You're ready to take action. But the family People surround you, not only do they not know what's going on, they may not be on board, they may be in denial, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. but it's often also time to get the whole family around. You have to, because you have to look at it like this. Like if you bring up, you have to though, if you bring a therapist in and the therapist is working with your child, right? When they leave, if somebody comes in and says, oh, because for me, this worked for me. I don't know if it works for everybody, but I limited electronics for my child, Right. right? So if the grandmother comes in, anybody's grandmother, I'm just taking a stab, and says, oh, I'm going to let him watch cartoons all day long. So he's just sitting there rocking Mm -hmm. all day and there's no engagement. To me, it's like starting all over. In fact, the therapist said everything that we accomplished in that day is erased. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to tell the other family members and the people that's around. Like you could be deleting everything that that person learned by doing the opposite of what the therapist has asked or being in denial. Yeah. I even had, listen, I'm tough. Okay. And you gotta, and and there are times where you're going to have to be tough. And I had to be tough with some of my family members and literally say, if you are not on the same page with me and the therapist, you will not have access to my child. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers 
of America. That's excellent and sage-like advice, honestly, because that's a tough thing you got to do. But you're absolutely right about one thing you said there was you can spend eight hours yep. working with a child all day and in one moment or one Somebody hour, could just erase delete, all the progress. erase yeah. all the progress. That wasn't you. happening in my household. I agree with you. You know, my my greatest, my greatest, um, what do you call it? Um, my greatest goal mm-hmm. for my son was to get him as independent of me as possible. Hmm. That's all I wanted. I didn't, when I was, when I was mourning and I was praying, because I, 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 I was like on my knees, but I'm one of those that gets on their knees, then I get up, then I do the work, mm-hmm. right? And again, you guys can see, I get really passionate and I get really aggressive <laughs> when it comes to my child <laughs> or my children. But with that, you know, you literally have to get people on the same page or you are going to erase all of the work that you did. Yeah, that's very interesting. And also, you know, you hit on something that we preach a lot, early intervention. Mm -hmm. That's so critical. Mm -hmm. You mentioned going through five doctors before getting the proper diagnosis. What do you make of that? Why do you think it was so difficult for these first five and why did they miss it? I think they just kept looking at how you know, some of his accomplishments, how smart he was, Uh Um, you know, he wasn't talking. Right. But what I did was to reach him was I would put on his walls. I took down the basketball Mm -hmm. (laughs) wallpaper because, (laughs) of course, you know, his father had played and I just assumed, you know, at that time, oh, yeah. sure, I'm sure he'll play too. But again, you have to mourn the loss of the goals and the aspirations you had for your child and start at the basics. Yeah. So I took all that down and I placed all these learning educational charts of geometry hmm. and and letters and, and numbers, numerals all over his walls. And instead, in lieu of him, if he did something that was typical or something or tried to communicate with me even if it was sign language or a grunt instead of giving him candy and giving him a snack or something to celebrate i would give him either uh, a, a, a ton of attention or we will walk over to these educational charts and we take a pointer mm-hmm. and i would go and we would go through each one and he loved it it was like a prize for him but it was also teaching him phonics and so he started to put the words together even though i could he was not talking when he should have been talking and i remember the first day he looked at the chart and he said the name, he said the letter, he said the the number, eight points and says eight. And I said, say mommy, say daddy, say mommy, say daddy, say mommy, say daddy, say mommy, say daddy. <laughs> Nothing for another couple of months, right? So then he, I overheard him say, Dada. I was like, say mommy, 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 say mommy. And nothing for almost six to seven months. So we start with eight and Dada. Dada. And then... <laughs> One day we're in his room. He points at the ge- geometry chart and he says, Parallelogram. I said, Oh, see, you playing games. <laughs> you are playing games. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. You're in there. 
you're in there. You're inside of yeah. there. I just got to figure out a way to reach you. Again, the goal wasn't always to have him speaking back to me. The goal was to get eye contact or get some type mm-hmm. of communication. Even if it was a grunt or a point, yes. I'd wait him out. If he pointed, I'd wait him out and i go, oh, light, light, yeah, light, light. Is it a light, light? Mm-hmm. I'm going to back up this story. So before the five doctors, yeah, six doctors, <laughs> including the behavioral therapist, before the five doctors, I had had some inkling that there was something up with the baby is what I would tell all of my friends. And my friends would go, oh, not, no, nothing's wrong. Like, you're just a new mom. You know, trust your instincts, mommies and daddies. Trust your instincts when you see something. And that has served me always. Now, this was about 18 months. About 18 months, his doctor called me and said, um... I need you to come in. I said, I can't. I'm on the set of my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. I'm here every day. We're doing two shows a day. I, I can't, I can't come to you. And she goes, well, I said, can you just tell me over the phone? She was like, I don't want to do that. I said, mm-hmm. no, 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 please tell me. What are you going to tell me? My son's autistic. Huh. Now I didn't know that word. I don't know why that word came out of my mouth, but she says, yes, I think he's on the spectrum. And my whole body I fell out underneath myself mm-hmm. and I landed on the floor. Now, thank God the floor was there. Mm-hmm. Because I needed that foundation, that stability to hold me together. Because I'm one who doesn't show her emotions at work, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's 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 not right. Mm -hmm. And so, thank God nobody was around because I just just tears and I fell out. And then, but I'm talking to the doctor and I'm saying, okay, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to set up an appointment with? But I'm like shaking. Hang up the phone and I'm bawling and I'm, you know, I run into the makeup room and I I, I wash my face and I head straight out, pretend like nothing's wrong on the set. And I beeline to this woman who had been on the set with her child. Her child was one of the actors and, and he was brilliant child, amazing child. And she says, and I walk up to her I don't know why I walked up to her. I keep my business to myself. And I looked at her and I said, "Um, the doctor just called me. They said my son might be autistic. And she goes, oh, my God. Thank, thank God. So, so, so is my son. So am I. You know, by the way, I've been meaning to tell you. Please stop hugging me. Oh. I've been wanting to get out that get that out for a long time. I mean, that's all you do. You hug all day long. She says, and so congratulations. Two of my kids are, two of my kids aren't, and the ones that aren't are the boring ones. And I'm sitting there, my mouth is dropped open, right? And I go, what do I do? She says, engage. Hmm. She says, engage. All you gotta do is engage. I said, so all of those times, and it it made me think. Oh, she used to pass by me and Zen, Zen in his stroller. And she was like, oh, your son reminds me of mine. Don't let him in gluten. Oh, your son reminds me of mine. Don't let him watch TV. Oh, your son. And she would do that all the time. And I didn't, I wasn't, it just kind of hit me. And so one of the things about me is when I get a piece of information, I snap onto that like a dog. Like just, (laughs) she said the word engage. Mm -hmm. 
engaged, and I don't think I stopped talking to him till he was five years old. <laughs> we, I mean, he would, the elevator, look at the elevator. Oh, the elevator goes up, 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 up. We're walking into the elevator. The elevator doors are closing. Look at the numbers. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, look at that. Oh, do you feel your tummy? Like, I literally talked his head off. <laughs> I talked that boy's head off. Engaging was really important. So going back to what you were saying mm -hmm. about the five doctors. Yeah. Somehow inside, I kind of knew. Yeah. I, and I kind of knew what they were saying was not what the diagnosis should be. And that, uh, in turn, a lot of our kids yeah. that are minorities are, get the wrong diagnosis. It's true. All the tactics that you mentioned, everything you put up on the wall, mm -hmm. was the therapist helpful in, in helping you set that up and, and uh, teaching you how to interact? No, I actually ran into this woman who, her name was Tahuti, and she was a toddler tutor. Huh. And so she would do that with all her kids, but it was so helpful for my son with the colors yeah. and the, because, you know, he get he he would get overwhelmed really really fast sure. and overstimulated, uh -huh. and so these charts helped regulate things for him. Hmm. So it was just something that kind of organically happened, Try but it really does help. Yeah. Because especially you know depending upon if they're a visual or auditory learner, we used both. At the same time, like I said, I would point right. out the different numbers and colors and chart, and that was his big treat. You and, know what I mean? And you got him to engage. With I got him to engage. That, that it was engaging, and, and that is the key. And 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 then my dad, my dad was one of the most amazing fathers. I grew up in a group home. I don't know if most people know that. Um, my father was the group home father. My mother was the group home mother. We shared a, a, a home in, in New Jersey with 10 other boys, uh -huh. my three brothers, and me. Uh -huh. And, you know, um, we did have a child who was on the spectrum there, but that was the most, we didn't know what to call it back then. Yeah. But my dad, he was the most engaging father and grandfather. And so I flew him out when I knew that I'd be working constantly. And so I had that one family member, that one person who could engage with Zen at all times. He had experience. He had experience. Oh, that's very interesting. So it's good that you had that support as well. And the theme that we keep getting around to is having support, yeah. reaching out for Finding help. support. Yeah. And not everybody's going to get it. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, you got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out who your village is. Yeah. You have to figure out. And if it's not somebody that's benefiting the the overall goal for your for your child or benefiting you mm -hmm. like it, there's nothing like a little respite aid people yeah there's nothing like a little respite aid somebody to just give you a break mm -hmm. because what happens a lot of times with the parents is people forget to even ask them are you okay yeah self care becomes critically important self care mm -hmm. I did not do it I'm gonna tell you that right now mm -hmm. self care has never been my steel. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been a giver. I've always been one who took care of my, I started in this business when I was a little girl yeah. only to help my family get out of their financial situation. Mm -hmm. I realized, oh, I could help them pay bills yeah. at five. So I was always conscious huh. of everybody else serving everybody else. I just didn't know <sighs> that I needed time to be taken care of as well. But you did take that three days. 
you know, three days ain't nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I took the three days, but go ahead, finish your sentence. <laughs> uh, I, I was half kidding. Um, but, but you did know in that moment, you needed to step back for a moment. I did. Allow yourself time to process these I emotions. I had to cry. And then it was time for action. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important piece again, because there's so many parents that are, that are watching this, mm-hmm. that are going to see this, and they're going through those exact mm-hmm. same scenario. There's going to be times where you're going to cry. There's yeah. going to be times where there's going to be so much joy. I remember hearing my son say, I love you for the first time. How old was he when he said that? Oh, God, he had to be about, just even putting three words together, about eight. Eight years old, yeah. Whew. That must have been a powerful moment for you. I was, I had my back towards him. Mm-hmm. He was sitting on the floor playing with something or lining something up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I hear him say, I love you. And I turn and I look <laughs> and he looks up and he goes, yep, I love you. And like bald, <laughs> bawling, you know, just those three words I never thought I would hear him say. It's the most amazing feeling. So there are going to be those joyful moments. Mm-hmm. There are going to be those moments that's going to piss you. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let me tell you something. I had a lot of those. I bet. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> Don't come for my kid, right? So one of the things that I did with my son, especially when it came to being overstimulated, I, I read a lot of Temple Grandin's mm-hmm. like uh, books and stuff because that's all we had back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And so she talked about how her mother would ease her into situations, you know, and mm. um, expose her to different situations. Like they're in their own bubble, right? So I realized that I had to get him used to the rest of the world and all of the, we're talking sense, senses. Yeah. Since oh, it's overstimulating yeah. and they don't take it in like we do. Exactly. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would go to like a crowded place like a cheesecake factory. You can't get no louder than a cheesecake. <laughs> right. I would go to a cheesecake factory. I'd walk him into that little reception area mm-hmm. and let him go to town. I mean, you know, for most people, it looks like our child is exhibiting bad behavior or throwing a tantrum. When you think about all of the noises in a cheesecake factory, there's clinking of glasses and plates. There's people talking all at the same time. There's the air conditioner just humming Mm -hmm. and, and you got all of this stimulation. And he would, I was, I would sit there and I'd go to the host. I go, my son and I are going to be here for five minutes. He is going to fall out on the floor, but I need to get him used to being in a restaurant. So I I, I won't be long. And he come in, ah, fall out on the floor, kicking and screaming, crying. And I go, it's only five minutes. I'd be explaining to him, this is a restaurant. Mm-hmm. This is where people go to eat. And then I'd walk him out, come back the next day <sighs> for two weeks, two weeks straight. And I'd elongate the time. It'd go from five minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes to sitting down. Mm to having a meal. And sometimes it would take us longer than two weeks. Sometimes it would take a month. But you got to have patience. Let them ease them into it. Gradual exposure. Gradual exposure. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the other things you've done. Um, Sure. Particularly around the documentary that you produce, Colored My Mind. Can you talk a little bit about 
the impact that that documentary has had, especially in the African-American Latino Well, let communities. me just tell you how it came about Yes, first. please. Um, so I'm on the set of my wife and kids again, <laughs> and sometimes you receive letters from supporters. I don't call people fans. I call them supporters. Mm -hmm. So I was receiving some support letters, and I got this one, and it was from the Shaka Khan Foundation. I was like, why is Shaka Khan <laughs> hitting me? I don't really know Shaka like that. Right, like, I've seen her. Like, I don't know, like that. So I start reading, and they start talking about autism. Now, I was not out about my son. I was very protective at this point. I had even discussed it with other family members and said, you know, there are people I can handle what's going on in the media, but I don't know if Zen can. Mm -hmm. So we were closed mouth yeah. at first. Um, but how is this person, Chaka Khan Foundation, knowing that my son is autistic? So I called them right away and I was like, I just received your letter. <laughs> how is it that you know that I just got this diagnosis? She says, I didn't. I was just reaching out to you hmm. to see if we could work together. Really? And I was like, oh no. And I was like, does Shaka have a child on the spectrum? And she says, no, her sister does. Uh her sister is a manager. I want to introduce you and I'd like to meet with you. They came over and we talked and we started talking about all of the things that we could do. We started talking about um, creating a charity that is specifically for people of color that so that we can um, uh, connect them with resources, give them supports, try, you know, all of these things. And I thought it was an amazing idea and we called it Colored My Mind. Mm -hmm. And then um, it just so happened, we were like, we should do a documentary about what it's like to get this diagnosis. Um, and you can see I was just as aggressive on, <laughs> on the, in the movie as I am right now. <laughs> and um, and um, so we, we decided to, to, to do that. And it actually affected so many individuals who were so great thankful that uh grateful and thankful that we did something like this but what it also did was it opened us up i was working on another show at that time um and the white house they that well we had gotten invited to um try to help this bill the the reauthorization of autism act hmm. The money was already there. We had to go speak to Congress. Mm -hmm. So the five of us. Now, I'm the only celeb uh -huh. other than Shaka. Right. Everybody else, there's a housewife. There's the woman that I spoke about mm -hmm. earlier, the principal from, from Carson right. with the 23-year-old daughter who couldn't speak nonverbal. Mm -hmm. um, she was also um, not potty trained. Mm -hmm. She just didn't get the resources that, yeah. that we got. Um Anyway, so it was the, the six of us. We decided to go to Congress. We had one day to do it. Hmm. You know, it takes months to get a bill. Yeah. Um, it was during the Obama administration. And what was interesting was the person that was backing the bill, nobody liked her. <laughs> nobody. So we had to go in there and convince him that this was a nonpartisan issue. Right. That this is about our families. These are about our babies. Mm -hmm. and, and our children... If they're not diagnosed, if they're misdiagnosed, some of them even go to jail yeah. because they're misdiagnosed. You know, they don't get the same resources. And so we were even able to rewrite the bill 
We didn't have to ask for any more money. The money was already there. It was already allotted. And so we got to rewrite the bill so that the uh, disparities weren't as great mm-hmm. for children of, of color. And everybody was going to benefit from it. Right. So we got in there. And when we started to tell our stories, so many people backed us. And we got that bill passed. Nice. We got that That's bill fantastic. So that's what that movie w- allowed us to do. You also wrote a children's book. Which I, I did. Which with I thought, my brother. Yeah, I think that's just so great because, you know, when whenever there is a child in the household that has some sort of difficulty, whether yeah. it's autism or a, a physical disability, yeah. or there's so much attention put on that one child. Mm-hmm. And then the other siblings can often get kind of lost in the mix. Yeah. But this book was geared towards that, correct? It was geared towards the siblings. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. It was that. geared towards... Well, at the time, Zen was just at school age. Um, I uh, We waited to have our second child um, about eight years because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure Zen was at Situated. least established right. and okay. Right. Um, and so he was. it was school age, and I had to go into his school and talk to the other children about what autism yeah. was. And I, had, and I had drawn these things about how they think. And how, you know, one of the typical kids might have thought. Um, they were like, is it like, a, does he have like a superpower? I was like, you can consider it a superpower. It was really cool. <laughs> and so the way that I explained it was to so that they could have an affinity yeah. for my child. And so it made me want to write a book because I hadn't had my second son yet. But it made me want to write a book so that more children could have more of an understanding exactly. for this um, challenge and more of an affinity for for children who are challenged with this diagnosis. You explain this to the classroom? Is that I explained that what autism was to the right. classroom and it just motivated me to write this children's And did the book. classroom kind of rally around? They me? rallied yeah. around my son. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So much. <laughs> and they I said, I said to them, I said, you can't always let him get away with stuff that just because he has this, yeah. you know, label for me. And I think this is really important for every single parent to understand. It is important to accept the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You don't have to accept the label. Yeah. But you damn sure got to accept the diagnosis because the quicker you do that, the more help you can give to your child, exactly. the more, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I wasn't with the labels, but I was like, you're going to figure it out. I think for our listeners, you know, it's very important. You've, you've heard it multiple times now. Early intervention is critical. Accepting it is critical. It doesn't mean you have to do it alone or you don't need right. support to get through it. All of your emotions are valid. It is totally normal to go through a host of emotions. And not just in the beginning, not just for yes. three days, but ongoing throughout the course of this. Oh, see, now see. We were talking about emotions. I got distracted. But let me tell you. So (laughs) at the Cheesecake Factory, this woman, poor lady, poor, poor lady. Why did she say something to me about my child? And I let her have it. Listen, I don't always let people have it. But when they deserve it, well, maybe not the first behavioral therapist. She did not deserve that. If you're out there, she apologizes. I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> but 
there, there are people who don't understand and they go, can't you like do yeah. something with your child? I'm sorry. When you become a clinical therapist and understand what autism is, then you can talk to me about my child. Exactly. But until then, mind your business. Yeah. That's how I was. Okay. But then there are those other moments where I know you see me smiling. And you do find the joy because these kids became your child for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's not for the lighthearted. Like this is, you know, I'm, I'm a tough cookie, but I also had my vulnerable crying moments. I had those moments where I was thinking like, how could, what did I do? Mm -hmm. Did I not eat the right things? Did I, but no. Do your research, too, because you can find out so much about how the brain works. It's such an amazing, pliable organ, mm -hmm. right? And it's not you. You have to know that it's not you. And that the senses do play a very big role in the development of a child. Mm -hmm. The senses, the, the, my son, the way that I would explain it is, if my son were to eat a peach, you well, if you were to eat a peach, you feel the peach fuzz when mm -hmm. you bite into it, it'd be sweet, it'd be whatever it is, you know. But with my son, the peach fuzz might burn his skin. Mm -hmm. With my son, um, it might feel like rocks in his mouth. It might smell completely different yeah. than it smells to you. Yeah. So we have to get him used to this the 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 world around him. And that's what that's how I like looked at everything. My son would even now, you know, he's he's mouth almighty tongue everlasting. He doesn't stop talking. Thank God. <laughs> but when he was able to explain certain things, I said, Zen, why did you what do you remember banging your head on the floor and on the walls and stuff? Do you remember that? He was like, Yeah. I said, What is what was that? He says, Oh, you know when your foot falls asleep? So yeah, and you kind of bang it like that. So that's how I felt. Hmm. Now I never heard that before. Um, and that's his That's his interpretation. That's his interpretation of it. Yeah. And he said I would bang it so I could feel it. Huh. And I go, wow. Then that's fascinating. And anybody's watching that, therapist, doctors, parents, they're gonna think oh, it's some it's something completely different. It breaks your heart. Yeah. And one of the other things that he used to do that would break my heart because I have OCD is he would lick public banisters <laughs> and railings. <laughs> I was losing my mind. I was like, he's going to get hepatitis. It's exposure, right? But again, <laughs> his, his, all of this was not operating the way that we understand it. Did you ask him about that too, why he was doing that? I didn't. He didn't remember doing <clears throat> okay. it. But what I did was early on, and this may sound bad, guys, there's no rules to anything, but I remember coming across a list of stimulatory behaviors uh -huh. that are publicly acceptable and some that aren't. Right. Right. And he was on that aren't list. <laughs> but the ones that were publicly acceptable. OK. Now, y'all might think y'all might think this is bad. And I accept that. But it worked for us. So instead of him licking public banisters and walls and railings and escalators. <laughs> I taught him how to bite his nails. 
better than licking escalators. Listen, <laughs> y'all can talk about me if you want to, but I taught him how to bite his nails. Now I had to unteach him to bite yeah. his nails, but it was better. Now all I had to worry about was keeping his hands sanitized, mm. but it was better than. Ugh. You know what I find fascinating about what you just said is children who are nonverbal. Yes. They're kind of living and almost trapped inside their own minds. Mm-hmm. Like their own bubble. I you see, yeah. And you see all these behaviors and we're interpreting it as this or that. And then years later, he can speak. He can speak. And it's can nothing, nothing like what you thought. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating to me. Isn't that yeah, great? It really is. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. It's great. I, I want you guys to know that um, with Zen, he used to, um, he would line his toys up. Trains, cars. Uh-huh animal figurines. He would just line them up. And so I would come home and again, engage, 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 engage. And I would sit down on the floor with him and I would literally try to teach him how to play because playing is such a big part of the brain's development. Mm -hmm. That's what floor time is. That's a big part of ABA. Yes. Applied applied behavior, for those who don't know, applied behavior um, analysis. Oh, I said that right. (laughs) But he would line these things up and I would sit on the floor and I would teach him how to play with the animals or Mm -hmm. the cars. The cars go vroom, 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 vroom. Or the animals, you know, just teaching him. And he would just, he would be back and looking at me and and then I would fling some like Play-Doh at him and he would like be screaming. I remember him screaming like he was being burned by fire right. when he would touch it. Hugs. I asked him about hugs and kisses because he would, you know, still tenses up, but yeah. he would do this. And I go, how does, how does a hug and kiss feel years later? And he was like, it feels like it's hurting my skin. Huh. So I would prompt him or tell him, hey, mommy's about to touch you. Mm-hmm. Mommy's about to give you a hug so that he doesn't have to, you know, just getting them used to the world outside of their bubble is so important. Absolutely. The world's not going to adapt no. to him. No. And you realize that. Honey, right no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially being an African-American boy. Mm-hmm. They're already going to have assumptions. So these same animals that he <clears throat> was, you know, obsessed with just lining up I started to buy him books Mm -hmm. about the subject matter. I started to show him visuals on the television. I started to take him to movies that had anything to do with like penguins Uh. or anything. I would take him to the zoo. His obsession, you guys, became a vocation. Mm -hmm. I am very proud to say that my son is in college studying to be an animal conservationist. That's fantastic. He um, is taking public speaking courses because he wants to be a zoologist and he's working right now in a zoo. That's, I was going to ask, what's his superpower? I think we just figured it out. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's been, uh, uh, and like he just started to memorize everything about every single animal in the daggone planet. <laughs> and so he just started to just, he, he knew where he wanted to go to college. He knew at eight years old, he, I'm sorry. That's too early. At 12 years old, he knew where he wanted to go to college. He was putting sentences together. And he he just is my hero. He is my miracle. And I have to attribute my village 
and early intervention to where he is today. Not everybody is on the same, you know, place in the spectrum. And I do acknowledge that. Um, but for us, this is our story and this is what we did. Does he have a favorite animal? Mm-mm, I don't think he does. Um, right now he's working at the zoo with uh, the smaller animals, the possums, some kind of meerkat, I don't know, um, an eagle. And he's working his way up to the cats. I think it's important once again to point out that all the things that you're mentioning, the, the applied behavioral analysis mm-hmm. therapy, the, the play, the interactive play on mm-hmm. the ground, the floor time, as you mentioned, getting eye level with mm-hmm. him, looking for those reactions, mm-hmm. the work with the therapist. You mentioned the village. I'm assuming some of them came around at some point. Oh, yeah. they didn't have a choice. Yeah, good. <laughs> they didn't have a choice, so they wouldn't be around my son. That's right. That's right. My village is so amazing. Like, even... You know, some of my friends, there were the friends that I could cry to. There mm-hmm. were the friends that would, you know, pump me up and you can do this. There were, I've had so many different people who have supported me over the years. And I say me because the parent needs the support. Yes. I, I could not agree more. You cannot do this alone. Whether if you have great family support, great, good for you. That's great luck. If you don't have it, you need to go out and find it and get find it. Find something, yes. even if it's the therapist. That's right. You know, or, you know, take advantage of we have the regional center out here in California and they help with resources and placement of your child. You know, you're gonna need people to help you advocate yes. for your child. Um, again, as you can see, I'm a pretty tough cookie. I cry. I, 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 I've been down, but for the most part, I'm going to fight, push me in a corner and I'm going to fight for my kid. That brings me to another question. Um, in what ways do you think educators, healthcare professionals, doctors, schools, how can we do better? We all have to educate ourselves about the subject matter and understand it. We have to, especially the people who affect us mostly in the community, which are, you know, the healthcare providers, the teachers, mm-hmm. you know, we have, me and my brother started um, with the police department. Mm-hmm. My brother was a uh, lieutenant in the police force. Um, we started a movement called mm-hmm. DOPE, De-Escalation of Officer Patrol Encounters. Mm-hmm. And we started it with, because of Zen. Mm-hmm. So a family member was at my house. Zen was much older. You know, he was talking. He was verbal at this point. He's a teenager. And for the first time, he walked to the store by himself when I wasn't there. Uh-oh. Right? So <laughs> when I get home, I'm like, Where, where's my son? Where's Zen? And the family member says, oh, I let him walk to the store. He said he wanted to walk to the store, so I let him walk to the store. I said, Okay, did you prepare him? Did mm. you prepare him for what would happen if you ran into a gang member? Right. What would happen if you ran into a police officer? Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, he just went to the store. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. Me and my brother is like, okay, just calm down. <laughs> so when Zen walks into the, the room, I said, Zen, how was your walk? He said, it was good, it was good. I said, okay, Zen, me and Uncle Stan wanna ask you a few questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had run into a cop, you know, and they said, hey, we want to, you know, 
stop. We want to talk to you. What would you have done? He says, oh, well, and he puts his hands behind his back. I said, Jesus Christ, Lord, help us. He's going to get himself killed. So then me and my brother sat him down and was like, because you look the way you look, a lot of children that are on the spectrum don't look like you're on the mm, spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of the movements that they make, it could be ticks, it could be whatever, mm-hmm. can be can come across as as uh, non-compliance. Mm-hmm. And so, my brother and I started this movement where my brother gets police officers and c- cars, uh, fake rubber guns Mm -hmm. and we teach children on the spectrum and uh, uh, not children, but um, young adults on the spectrum driving age and, Mm -hmm. and, and what have you, how to be stopped. We also teach the police officers about autism. Absolutely. And we do, we, we give speeches and, and we have, um, we break things down, what it looks like. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a young, there was a nurse of an autistic young man who was, uh, the autistic young man was in the middle of the street with, I think it was like a toy car or something. And he was about, I don't know, 18, maybe years old, 17, mm-hmm. 18 years old. And his nurse was like, no, no, no. You know, he's, um, he's, he's autistic. He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a gun. And they shot the nurse. Oh. And so getting people to understand <clears throat> that you know, we have to figure out ways to help them. So what might me and my brother do is we get the police officers to do two different stops, an escalated one mm-hmm. and a de-escalated mm-hmm. one so that they could practice because they will at some point be at driving age. And that's exactly what we're doing here as well, right? It's not just the doctors or the therapists or yeah. the family members, but yeah. it's it's our public servants yes. and people in the community. We have yeah. to school them. Yes, we do. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about charities. Uh, what charities are you currently working with or supporting? How can we get involved? How can we help? Well, you know, there's always colored my mind and I am currently working <clears throat> with my, my hero, my hero, Dr. Pamela Wiley at the Los Angeles Speech and Language Center. She was the first person who helped me with Zen, the first speech therapist. Mm-hmm. She took $5,000 and started her own uh, language and speech um, therapy. She doesn't turn anybody away. Wow. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter whether you're a celebrity or not. You're mm-hmm. going to get the same amount of treatment Excellent. that you get the love that she gets. And you know what else she does? She partnered up with UPS and Outback and they set up a restaurant and um, uh I don't know, a mailing station mm-hmm. in her offices to teach the, the, the young adults. Very interesting. Yes. To teach the young adults a vocation. Yeah. And so she's partnered up with them. And that was one of my son's first jobs was at Outback. Really? Yes. What did he do? He was a busboy. That's great. My son understands servitude. My son, that's one thing that I really put into him. Mm-hmm. We are in... It is an honor to serve other people. So he's worked everywhere from Outback to Chick-fil-A. To the zoo. To the zoo, to his <laughs> to the vocation of his choice. Finally, I think if you had to pick one message for 
parents out there that are just learning this diagnosis and their children or for families who are really struggling and don't know what to do, what, what would you say to them? That's hard. That's a hard one. Um, there's so much to say. I hate to be cliche like Holly, but it does get better. Take a moment to breathe when you can, parents. Um, and you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to engage. I mean, there's moments where you're going to have to take a break and get a babysitter or some respite aid. Mm -hmm. Even when the therapist is, is there, be in the room with your child. Yeah. Learn. Learn of what they're doing mm -hmm. and then apply it when they leave. Exactly. That's so critical. That's so critical. Mm -hmm. Like, you, can, you can't just think that they're the babysitter right. for it so you could take a break. That's not what they are there for. They're there to help your child try to bridge the gap mm -hmm. between our world and theirs. And so you have to be in there learning at the same time. This is a lot of work. Yes. That's why I say take your breaks. Cry. Be joyful. Find, find what their thing is. Find, Zen's thing was animals and numbers and letters. Mm -hmm. Find out what their thing is and find a way to reach them through that. Harness you know? it. Harness yeah. it. Reach. You're reaching your child. That's the reach. Find out what that reach is. And love on yourselves. I think it's just not enough said about parents and family members who are affected by this diagnosis. I, I you know, we we focus on the child that has this challenge, but the challenge is also for the parents. I think I'm going to harp on that just one more time for all of our listeners out there. This is an incredibly daunting challenge, one that can be accomplished, but without self care. It often doesn't work. Yep. You have to take that time for yourself. Yes. You have to get the support you need to get through this, but you can do this. And it starts with topics like today and bringing awareness to the public. It starts with bringing awareness to our educators, to our teachers, to our law enforcement officers, to our firemen, public servants. And it is advanced through interviews like this and the time that you've given us today. And there's hope. And there is hope. There is hope. Yes. It doesn't feel like that. And like you said, it could be daunting. But gosh, every little small win is a huge win for that baby. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something so critically important, and that is educating not only ourselves, not only our families, but local law enforcement, yeah. public figures. What is the organization that you work with that's driving that change? Yes, it's called DOPE. That was founded by myself and my brother, Stanley Campbell, lieutenant in the Oklahoma uh, retired lieutenant in the Oklahoma Police Department. And we, DOPE stands for De-Escalation of Officer Patrol Encounters. You can find us on, we have a website of that name. We do work alongside with my shero, Dr. Pam Wiley. And that particular um, organization, her organization is called the Los Angeles Speech and Therapy Center. And that is specifically for kids and young adults. And it, they don't age out. So fantastic. I encourage all our listeners to visit uh, the websites of Dope and the second one was called again the Los Angeles Speech and Therapy Center. Los Angeles Speech and Therapy Center. To learn more about the spectrum, please visit abacenters.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Ted Bender.